about the fact that praise rules. Amen. Amen. Praise rules. So yeah, praise rules. <laughs> so uh, taking that from Psalm 22, uh, it says here in 22 verse 3, uh, <clears throat> it says in verse 2, it says, "Oh my, this begins with a, a the psalmist pouring out his heart to God." God bless you, because of a need that he perceives in his life. And and part of this is Jesus' words at his crucifixion, Psalm 22. Uh, it talks about, uh, God, how, how why have you forsaken me? And, and parts of it are messianic. And so it's an important psalm, and there's some important things revealed here. It says here, Uh, Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. So this is somebody's crying out to God day and night. No relief from whatever pain that they're in or discomfort. He says, but you are holy. In other words, I'm crying out to you, and if I can't get a hold of you, it's not your fault. See, when you realize that God is holy, that means there's no blame in him. Amen. Whatever it is that you're going through, he's aware of it. He has a remedy for it. If he hasn't moved yet, it's because it's not beyond your ability to bear up under it. He says, you are holy, O you that inhabit the praises of Israel. You inhabit the praises of Israel. He says, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. So here you see the writer of this psalm is on his way to deliverance. Amen. Because part of why we suffer is because we don't keep in mind the truth about God. All we do is focus on what's lacking, what's missing, what we think is wrong with our lives, uh, who we think did us bad, you know, singing the blues. And uh, that, you know, might <laughs> be okay for a minute, but it won't solve your problems. What will solve your problems is when you remember that God is holy. Amen. you got to yank yourself up and jerk yourself back and, you know, really jack yourself up and say, you know, now wait a minute. I'm here talking like I have no God. I'm talking like I have no Father. I'm talking like he's doing something wrong to me and he's not coming to my aid. And so you must bring yourself back into an understanding of the power there is in certain things that you can access in your life when things aren't going well for you. And when things are going well for you, you access these same things. And one of them is praise. So what does it mean to praise? It means to boast. Now we all know there's five or seven words that the Bible uses for praise. Um, you can list them, enumerate them. But, but in, in this particular passage right here, the word really means to settle, dwell, or live. I'm sorry, inhabit. Inhabit, that's what I want to talk about, inhabit. Inhabit means to settle, dwell, or live. To settle, dwell, or live. It also means to sit, to stay, and remain. 
the word inhabit also means to marry. Gee, nobody, everybody, that went past everybody's wall, floor. Little Howard, let me talk to you a minute. That word inhabit means to marry. Anything go off on the inside of you? He said yes, but he looks the same. When you married somebody, you went and lived with them. You didn't live with them and then marry them. You married them and then you lived with them. If we get the order right, we'll understand it a little bit better. You kind of got to break it down for the Lord's people a little bit, you know. See, that's the problem with people. They get it twisted. They get it the reverse. See, they dwell together and then they marry. What you looking at all funny for? Huh? See, putting, putting a stamp on it doesn't make it a marriage. You can call it that. You can call a dog a cat, but that doesn't change. You know, if it barks, it's a. If it meows, it's a. You can't change that. Huh? Can't change that. Many people try to fix up their lives. By doing after the fact what they should have done before the fact. And they don't factor in all that stuff in between. See, God has to fix what's in between. One way or the other. That's not going to go away. Amen. If you lived in fornication, you sowed seeds into that spirit and you're going to reap the fruit of that spirit. Then it shows up after you put a stamp of marriage on it and people say, well, we never should have got married. No, you should have got married first. But if that didn't happen, God can fix what's in between if you hold on to God. You see what I'm saying? He'll fix that. But you gotta, you gotta be honest with God. You know, you can't do this stuff of trying to fix stuff up and you know, say it's okay. You got to get hard down. Now, God, that's sin and, and it's wrong and I acknowledge it's wrong. I don't care if the saints gave you a nice shower and a white dress and blessed you and all that kind of good stuff. If you started out in sin, you got to get that straightened out between yeah. you and God. Yeah. 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 See, the problem sometimes with church people is they try to fix the appearance of things and live in hell every day. When they don't have to. I tell people, I said, now if you, we want counseling before we get married. Oh, wonderful. Then we go through this again. You know, when I tell you what you're going to have to do to get that sin off your soul and out of your coming up marriage, you ain't going to like it. Because if you was liking it, you'd have done it already. Every day you live, God tells you when you're wrong. Because he's God. He's holy. This is his job to do. To help us to live a straight life. 
But if you run around and pretend that, you know, y'all didn't sleep together and we got married. And, oh, yeah, the church blessed us with a wonderful shower. and That sin is still on your soul. And every day you, you are living the fruit of that sin. Something's not right. We get along, but only to a point. It's not like it's supposed to be when I read my Bible and it says how a husband should love a wife and a wife should respect a husband and all that kind of stuff. It's not happening for us. Why? Because you got this hump under the rug and you keep stumbling over it. Trying to pretend it's not there. So when I counsel people, I said, y'all sleep together yet? What you talking about? What you did or didn't do. You're innocent or you're guilty. Let's get this clean. Don't come in here trying to pretend like all this is just wonderful. Okay, you did. You admit that. Will you ask God to forgive you for that sin? You run off trying to, you know, get a starter home and have kids and all that on top of all that sin. That's not going to work. House will fall apart. <laughs> Kids don't like you. <laughs> Everything's wrong. Understand what I'm saying? That's a fruit of sin, folks. I don't know. I don't know what universe people think they're living in, but that's what it amounts to. Now, if you think that God's stupid enough to let you live with all the blessings and fruits of a real covenant, holy marriage, and you have done all that and not repented, you're living in the wrong world. Your head screwed on backwards. My goodness, what are we people who are trying to live right, what are they doing it for? So they can just be tortured all their life and, and just live with bare, in the sinners, get off scot-free and have anything, everything? Are you kidding me? Kind of God does that. If you're living right, keep living right. It pays off. It pays big dividends. Most of you are seeing it now. You single young people, when you want to go somewhere, you go, don't you? You don't have nobody pulling you and telling you you can't go nowhere. You don't have no little peats, repeats, and three peats running around you got to take care of and don't have much help. Come on now. Let's get with this. Praise rules. <laughs> huh? See, that was free. You know what? The problem with the church now is that people play with God in the church too much. There's too much play. There's too much where people think that because God didn't kill them because they were in sin and pretended like they weren't sinning, that they can get away with it. That, you know, God's letting them get away with something. Uh, Don't be mocked. God's not mocked. Don't deceive yourself. Huh? You're just trying to look into people like you're having all the fun in the world. You ain't having all the fun in the world. I don't care if you've got things. I don't care if you've got money. I don't care if you've got somebody tagging along behind you all the time wondering, when are you going to get off work so we can go out? You can have all of that. But your soul is still suffering. You're not happy on the inside. Period. And Jesus died to make you happy all over. Not just with your appearance of things. But he died to make you truly happy. Holiness will make you that way. 
Jesus died to make you one thing and that is sinless, guiltless, faultless. So you can live this life as though you never did anything wrong. So just make it a daily habit of getting under the blood. And examine yourself. Say, God, I want to be right with you more than I want anything. Huh? I thought I wanted him or her more than anything. Now you got him. Be happy. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> huh? No, people aren't supposed to make you happy. That's right. That's right. Amen. You're being deceived again. Enemy will get you thinking all kinds of crazy stuff. I just get the right one. How many are you going to try out? I mean, legally as a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? It's supposed to be one man for one woman till death do you part. Period. That's all you get. That's all I got. And that was more than enough. Trust me. You do it right, that's enough work for you to do to last you a lifetime. You understand what I'm saying? That's enough for you to do to last your lifetime. You don't, you're not looking for the, the next thing smoking to jump on. To see if it's any better. You want to make yourself better. Amen. Our problem when relationships is we're a little messed up. And don't know how to admit it and confront it. We think it's everybody else. I just got to find the right one. There is no such person. You got to learn how to be the right one. huh? And while you're working on that, God is working on somebody who's trying the same thing. To be the right person for you and for nobody else but you. And if you let God do it the right way and put you together... And quit looking around for something else. Then you'll be able to have a good marriage. You'll be able. You'll have a, a good quality marriage. You won't have a Cinderella story. You'll have problems like everybody has problems. But you'll be able to help each other to work them out. Without half killing each other. You understand what I'm saying? You'll have peace in your life. You'll have contentment and enjoyment. You'll have all of those things. You know, a date night is not going to save your marriage. You can date night all you want to, but don't think that's going to. Another baby is not going to save your marriage. It'll put stress on everybody, on the pocketbook, on the time, on everything. So don't be looking to pull these rabbits out of your hat to save something. God will save it if you will trust him and serve him every day of your life. Quit looking for somebody or something to make you something that you're not going to be. Most people don't want to be happy. I've studied this. (laughs) They like having a bad hair days. They like having a bad... Don't want to get up days. They like having a days where I'm just going to hurt me somebody. You know, everybody likes them. Some of them like a string of them. You know, every month through the day. When you go take a day off of that nonsense? I don't know. I still feel like I hurt me somebody. That's why when they get married, the spouse don't even try to make them happy. They say, you know what? I done tried two or three things and it don't work. Let me just leave that alone. See? 
how did I get way over there? I'm just, you know, I'm stuck there for some reason. People don't talk about this enough in churches. I see they talk about the glory and the waves and all this stuff. They'll talk about where you live. Huh? You trying to keep from hurting somebody when you get home this afternoon. <laughs> Whoever. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to hurt somebody. I don't, I don't have nobody to hurt no more. Whatever. <laughs> I've done all my hurt. But I'd live like that. You know, some people just be angry on the inside. You know, they, they kind of put stay on a low simmer all the time. And those kind of people, they look for, uh, uh, you know, they have like a short fuse. And they look around for something to get that fire going for them. <laughs> Whether it's their business or not. You ever notice they can get upset about something? They ain't even their business. They hear about something. Did you hear on the news about someone, someone, such, such, such? And they just go off. My fuse didn't got lit now. I can really listen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> if you marry a short fuse, you got to walk around with a fire hose most of the time. Uh, you can't be igniting nobody. You know, just, just you got to do what you got to do. You know, walk on eggshells or whatever, but can't light that fire. They go off on you. So, what is praise? Well, we were talking about praise. We're talking about the fact that God inhabits or dwells in or lives in. One of the words for inhabits is to be enthroned. That's what you need in your life. You need God on the throne. And you need to know how to pull him into your situation. To enthrone him in your life. Amen. You need to know how to turn an atmosphere from one of strife, bickering, contention, you know, lighting fuses, pushing each other's buttons, whatever it is. You have to learn how to use the tools that God gives you to turn that around so that then God's holiness comes in and he gets enthroned on your life, in your situation, whatever situation it is. And these situations do not go too far that a child of God cannot bring God in on it. And I mean immediately. You don't have to live in torment. You don't have to live in strife. You don't have to live in hell and bickering where you can't get along with people. You don't have to live in situations where people in authority over you treat you bad all the time. You don't have to put up with that kind of stuff. Because that that kind of stuff is not what Jesus died to leave for us and he's not in in favor of that continuing in our lives he wants to turn it around for you and he wants to reverse it for you and so in this psalm it says that god inhabits or is enthroned on the praises of his people what does that mean the praises praises of his people if he comes in and sets up his kingdom in our praise What is it that we have to do to get him to come in and reverse the nonsense, reverse the madness, reverse the strife, the contention, the bickering, the unfairness, 
that I always get passed up for a raise or my boss never compliments me or they never encourage me that I'm doing a good job around here. It's always against me, not in my favor. But God, you are holy. You're the one who inhabits the praises of your people. You're the one who's enthroned. And I need your holiness, which is righteousness and which is fairness, which is going to serve my purpose as long as I'm obedient to you. You've promised me certain blessings and benefits in my life. I need you to come in in that kind of righteous holiness and turn this around for me. So how do I get that going? And so this is what we need to know is that we have the power to convert any atmosphere. You notice I didn't say people. Hmm? This is our problem. We're too involved in wanting to change people so that we're they we like them better and do a witch and warlock thing. Who told you you would be able to control people so that you like them better? Who left you God? Did God die and leave you in charge all of a sudden that you can just tell him you got to change him? Change my boss. Well, he ain't saved no way and God's going to get rid of him. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? Huh? I've seen people almost destroy themselves emotionally. Let me tell you one of the deceptions that, that happens with Christians I've seen. You'll find Christians, you know, say two individuals divorced. They have children. Got to have joint custody. Because kids need both parents. They can't help it if you don't know how to get along. Well, I want you to agree in prayer with me. I said, hmm, here we go. Oh, find me a scripture. Can't find one. I want God to uh, uh, give me the kids and take them away from them. You think because you're a Christian now, God's going to break your children's heart and the other parent's heart, deprive them of the, see, that comes from hell. That does not come from the throne. That's not a holy thought. Well, see, they ain't saved and they got all kind of people over there. You got all kind of people at your house, too. Well, I'm married now. We both saved. I said, well, both stay saved. I said, but you got to show me where God says it's better for that child not to know the other parent and to let you fill in the blanks about what that person is like. So I've seen this scenario before. Sinners do this. One parent takes a child and tells that kid all their life, your daddy didn't like you. They didn't want you. God's never the author of that kind of foolishness. Huh? So we have to learn how to go to God to get along. And the way that's done is you've got to get him in your situation to change that atmosphere. So that atmosphere is a loving atmosphere. That atmosphere is a peaceful atmosphere. Well, you don't know them every time I get around them. We just argue. Shut your mouth. I got a good prayer for that one. In fact, I got several, several scriptures that will work for that. Anywhere from put a guard over it to make your tongue stick to the roof of it. Anybody can shut up. You just think you can. Then you never tried before. 
Huh? Everybody thinks they got to have something to say about everything. Or the last word all the time. But we have to learn that we can change atmospheres, not people. Huh? You're going for the big kahuna. You, you know, if you get into witchcraft, you have to be changing people every five minutes. Don't waste your time. But learn how to use what God has given you to make conducive atmospheres conducive to him ruling and reigning. When he rules and reigns, everything's straightened out. Everybody's straightened out. Every devil that wanted to cause trouble walks away confused, limping, dazed, been slapped upside the head several times. I can remember once I was was really angry at my husband about something and I wanted to say something that I shouldn't have had, a word I hadn't used in years since I was a sinner. And I kept trying to get it out my mouth and... I got a small form of it out, but it wasn't what I wanted. You know how that carnality just wells up in you? You want to blast somebody real good because they didn't push you to the... Uh-huh. And it didn't even sound right. The little bit that I tried to get out that was supposed to mess their head totally up. Yeah? Just don't work, folks. Don't work. Certain things are not for us. As Christians and believers, God has us living on a much higher level than we ever thought we could live on before. He says, why would you take somebody to court? Don't you know you're going to judge at the, at the end of the world, you're going to be able to judge rulers and kingdoms. God gives you that authority as believers. So why are we subjecting ourselves to mere human rules down here? You understand what I'm saying? And so God wants us to understand how to... Cause him to come in and dwell with us all of the time. Now if that idea turns you off, just repent of whatever it is that keeps holding you back from allowing God's holiness to rule and reign in every aspect of your life. No, you don't want to live a life where you can say anything to anybody and damage people's souls and have to be the one that feels bad all the time because you ran your mouth too much. That's a bad testimony for a Christian. And see, if we're called to change, we want to be atmosphere changers. We want to take our city for this and take our city for that and do great and mighty things. Well, we won't do them if we don't know how to rule our own spirits. The Bible says that the strong man is the one who, better is a man who rules his own spirit than one who takes the city. See, you can, you can do, move great and mighty things and, and nobody wants to see you coming when you come home. You understand what I'm saying? You can be the, the, the big mucky muck at the prayer meeting and snorting and, and slobbering all over the place and you know everything moves and the city gets lit up and everything's wonderful and then go home and your husband run out the back door when you come in the front because he don't want to see you coming and God doesn't want us to live like that that same atmosphere that you can create in prayer you can keep that atmosphere with you 24-7 you have the ability to do it you just have to want to do it I ain't gonna make it too comfortable for him. I don't trust me. Too comfortable is not even in the possibility realm right now. If you're talking like that, my goodness. Whoo! 
Ay, 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 I wish I could move on. I'm trying to get to praise rules. Huh? This will help you. This is why God gives you this power. God's no respecter of persons. He wants the atmosphere conducive to his rulership everywhere you are. Everywhere you go. We need to quit trying to be right all the time. And start just wanting to have peace with people. Is that important? That's important to me. You know, it's important to God. He said, as much as is possible, live peaceably among all men. Amen? And you're especially to the household of faith. We're supposed to treat one another better than we treat anybody. Don't treat nobody bad, but you know, come on now. This is important to God. And praise helps that. What is praise? Praise means to make boast or to celebrate. It also means to commend. It means to give light. To be clear, to shine, to illuminate. It means to to engage in a foolish glory. It means renown. It also means to give in marriage. Here's that marriage thing again. Here we got praise means to give in marriage. And we got inhabit means marriage. So what that means is that when we release praise to God, when we talk about his goodness, and praise is not jumping up and shouting and sweating all the time. You can see from the definition it means to glory over something, to boast about something. Let your boast be about God. The the psalmist in, in the psalm we just read, he says, but you are holy. That's a praise to God. You are without blame. You are without fault. When you talk truthfully about God and you begin to declare his goodness, what he did, share your testimony. Talk about what God did. Get people excited about your God. Tell the truth about him. Boast foolishly about him. Amen. And declare your devotion to him. That's the marriage aspect of it. See, God is good, and I serve him, and I serve him with a pure heart, and I want to serve him all the days of my life. You get married to God. Get real deep with him. Get real devoted to him. And the Bible says he picks up from where he's at, packs up his stuff, and comes in and camps right where you are. He accepts your invitation. So praise, when it's, when it's heartfelt and it's given from a pure heart and you boast in the right things about God and you talk about his goodness and you talk about his mercy and you talk about his mercy endures forever. And he's never tired of being merciful to us. I know you feel like you've messed up beyond repair, but I'm telling you God is never tired of showing favor and mercy and goodness toward us and helping us come into our rescue, cleansing us from all unrighteousness and treating you like you never did anything wrong. Try it sometimes. Just allow the exalting God to come out of your mouth. Instead of exalting yourself. Because that's the difference. We spend more time trying to talk about what we going to get. What we want. You know. This is, this is on my next list. You know. And 
I'm getting this. Took a picture of it, made it playing, got it on top of the refrigerator and all that stuff. You know, start exalting God. You know, he saved me. Brought me out of it. If, if nothing else, God allowed me to even desire to want something better in life. You understand what I'm saying? At one time, I didn't care if I had anything or not. And so when we lift up praise to God, it's more than just dancing around and sweating. And then you go home limping because you, I don't know what got into me. I just died doing all this stuff. You know, it's all right. But it's more than just... When music comes on and, and, you know, you start reacting to it. It's what you carry in your heart toward God all the time. When you think about his holiness, that he is, is beyond reproach and beyond blame and he lives in you. And he shares his plan for your life with him. He lifts you up and lets you know how important you are to him every day. There's not a day that goes by that he doesn't feel good about us. That he doesn't want to tell us, look at what I got planned for you. You know, I, when my husband, I don't tell this often, but when he got, we was very sick. And I was talking to the Lord about, well, God, how do I pray? I've been praying and, you know, it just doesn't seem to reverse at all. You know, and, and so the Lord showed me something. He said, "He said I'm going to finally get to do something that I've been wanting to do with him for a while. And I saw a picture of the Lord running up to somebody excited and saying, look at what I got for you. She said, come, come here, let me show you. Come, come, come here. Real excited. And that person kept turning around going away from him. That was my husband. I tell you this because God's given me permission to tell you now. I don't run around trying to make a ministry out of ratting on people. There's nothing to rat on anyway. God's corrected it. But the Lord told me, he said, I have him in a position now where I have his full attention. And I can reveal some things that are going to delight him finally. Don't let that be you every day of your life. You understand me? Get your mind off of stuff. People, when's it gonna happen? When am I gonna get mad? What's coming to me? And uh, get yourself out of carnal nonsense, and get yourself into understanding how to get God to create an atmosphere around you all the time, where there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That it doesn't have to do with trying to make yourself important or make yourself valuable or have a great career or more money or any of that nonsense stuff that we get all caught up in we got enough teachers of the word to teach you how to get rich and they don't know and they don't know how poor they are because they're substituting now the material wealth of the world something we never got involved in before as Christians we were doing fine living normal I don't know about you, but I was. The more money you get, the more property you buy, the bigger your taxes are. You got me? There's headaches that come with all of it. And so we all have to understand what's important that God has given us. He's given us tools to bring his power into any situation that will correct any wrong. It will heal any sickness. It will deliver any soul from torment. It will bring happiness, joy, and contentment to you no matter what your situation is that you live in every day.
I was depressed for five years. Lived in hell. Devil tormented my mind continually. I still don't realize, you know, that that song that says your soul look back and wonder how you got over. I still don't know. I know I did. One day I woke up and God told me, he said, this is the day you are healed. From this day forward, you go forward in some things. with You understand what I'm saying? But it took the desire on my part to have peace more than have repair of a damaged marriage, repair of damaged finances, my career back. Uh, they stole this from me. I'm going to get the devil back from it. That was not on my little mind. You understand what I'm saying? All that, that's well and good, but you can't make a living out of that in God. You have to have your living in God and in letting him be God to you every day 24-7. That he is God of your atmosphere where you live. He is God of the, the, the now and God of the future as well. That you can live in a now in God that is, is prosperous to you. It's conducive to your spiritual growth. It's helping you every day feel better about yourself so you don't need all these worldly crutches to prop you up so you can pretend to people that you're important. You need to understand how to get him in your world all the time and drive the devil and his crazy mad people out of that world. Anybody that won't obey that atmosphere is going to have to take a, a hike. You understand what I'm saying? There are many people, I I looked up one day all my so-called medical important people wouldn't talk to me. I called one friend of mine, she was one of my instructors in nursing school. And I said, well, um, I'm I'm trying to, you know, get better from a depression. Ooh, well, you're just going to have to work through that. Never call me again. You understand? It It was God. You understand? Hurt my feelings, but it was God. Because their way of helping me was not his way, and it never would have worked for me anyway. You understand what I'm saying? And so I realized that my boast would have to be in God. I I would have to quit boasting on people that I knew that I thought knew more than I did to help me. I would have to just trust him every day. And that's what praise does. When you start exalting the Lord, you talk about how good he's been to you. You talk about the last time you almost thought you were going to go under because you couldn't pay a bill or something, some expense popped up out of nowhere. And, and God created a way for you. You just left it with him because you were scared to touch it. You understand what I'm saying? That's faith, in case you don't know. If you leave something alone because you're scared to touch it, that's faith. Huh? Who'd you leave it there for? If you were trying to work your little voodoo, you'd call cutting somebody, ain't he somebody, or somebody you know that's got a little bit deeper pocket than you. So you left it alone. That's faith. But we need to start using our faith to call on God to rule our atmosphere every day, continually, nonstop, every day. You don't need a break of carnality in your life. Go to tie one on just because, you know, your flesh is craving. So you don't need that. You need to find out how to get over that craving. How to get God in your life continually. Huh? This is for young people, middle-aged people, old people. This is for all flesh. So he inhabits. He's enthroned. 
You know what that means to me? It means like God packed up everything. The angels, the singers, his scepter, his throne that he sits in, and just packed it all up and moved it right into my situation. He said, we're here. What you need? Huh? The minute you begin to exalt him and lift him up, he packs up everything that is needed for your situation and props it right in the middle of where you are. And he said, I'm here what you need. And he holds out the scepter to you. And you request what it is that you need. And he changes your atmosphere from one of discouragement to one of hope, encouragement. That's how David could encourage himself in the Lord. He knew how to praise God and get God in his atmosphere. And then out of that atmosphere, God began to speak to him to encourage him. But he began first to encourage himself. And when God said, man, that boy is hurting down there. Look at how he's crying out to me. Look at all the good things he's reminding me of. And his situation is bad. Come on, let's pack it all up. Let's move down there and get right in the middle of his situation. And that's what he does for all of us. Well, you must not believe it because sure don't seem to be happy about it. But I'm telling you, God will come in and rule in that atmosphere. It does not mean he just sits on the side and lets you suffer. He packs up everything about him that is 100% God, that's 100% right and holy, that will 100% fix your mess. You think he asked before he moves in who caused the mess? He could care less. All he sees is one of my kids is crying out to me and i got to go. And he moves in with everything about him that is right and that is God. And he begins to maneuver and fix your situation. If nothing else, he stops the mess dead in its tracks. He for, when he's enthroned in your life, he forbids it to go any further. It better not move any further than what it's moved already before God can get in there and help you. He wants to help you. And see, we run around pretending to be all knowledgeable about God and all holy and all kind of together and everything. And, you know, come on now. Let's get real. Let's get real, real. Because it's not going to get any easier in this world to be a Christian. You know, the days of the closet, everything are over. Everybody out the closet. Last time I checked, wasn't nobody left in there. But a few little shy believers. You know what I'm saying? So it's time for everybody to come out of the closet. Yesterday we we were, uh, it was time to go. And I was still sitting in the Bishop Russell's office, you know. Gigi and... Sister McKinney come ambling up there. I said, they want me to leave. I, said, I, going there. I knew what y'all was up to. I didn't say nothing. They leaning on each other. I said, oh, here we go. The twins at it now. But I just didn't feel moved to go. For whatever reason. I wasn't being nasty about it. And I wasn't trying to lord it over anybody. But there was no... Sure enough, somebody walks in off the street. I mean, you down there where Poppy brings you through the ghetto and over the ghetto and through the woods to go. <laughs> you know it's hurting people. I mean, it's hurting people everywhere, but sometimes they're more prominent in certain places and times because they need the help. Miss Ingrid brought this young man in. She's all excited. You know, she's ready to do something. And so uh, she said that 
he said that they told him he had what he had two years to live and that was two years ago and he told her he she said well she asked him about something he said well i might as well he said i'm i'm dying he said i'm gonna die and she said well you don't have to die come on in and we'll pray for you you understand what i'm saying (laughs) praising god see that's a praise folks it changes the atmosphere you know you don't have to die means somebody's gonna do something it's got to be god you understand what i'm saying that brings god enthroned in that situation that young man received prayer he thought about it he said you know how people don't really know god this was meant to be you know that's that's what they need divine we call divine appointments we we just goofy as they are sometimes you know we got to flip it around make it sound real but anyway but he knew it was god that had set it up and he knew that the prayer was going to help him see that's the most important thing and see when when you exalt god and you begin to lift him up that atmosphere changes so that it brings hope to that person that is needing the help it brings encouragement to them it opens a door for their faith to be released in that operation so that they can receive the help that god wants them to receive and that's all god wants us to do in this earth folks is to praise him not jumping up again not jumping and dancing and hooping and all that scares people you understand what I'm saying? You, I'm seriously. Now, people who are, are saved and kind of like in their normal understanding mind, they can't get with a lot of this stuff, you know, unless it's in a congregation or something like that. Or spirit-filled people, we understand a lot of stuff, you know what I'm saying? But everybody can't get with that. So if I tell you praise God, that means exalt him, talk him up. Make him bigger than the problem. Don't make the problem big. Make him big. And get him to where he can see his bigness. And that's the only thing he fits into is bigness. He has to fit in words that are like him. So when we use big words about God, we use boastful words. We talk about his greatness, his great love, his great mercy. He wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to do it. When we talk like that about him, he has no choice but to drop what he's doing and move right in and make that atmosphere. Huh? He has to make that atmosphere right for him. And, and we help it by releasing words about his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his encouragement toward us. He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. He wants you to have long life and length of days. You're not just going to live until the five year, you know how they, the devil likes to keep you under torment. If you had cancer, they tell you, well, you're not really cured until five years goes by. And then four years and nine months and five days, you get the word again, you know. Don't go to that last appointment. Huh? <laughs> like it's all set up to just to wreck you and make you feel that God's not keeping his word. He's not doing. And that's the biggest thing. The enemy wants people to believe that God has cast them aside. That, that that what they've done is too bad to to you know it'll never be oh no 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 you know you're no look at Catherine Kuhlman all the years she served God trying to be somebody she was nothing and she felt like nothing why she's married to some guy she wasn't supposed to be with and they trying to do ministry 
she finally got the hint. I said, Lord, I'm just going to drop everything. and If you can use me, what's left of me? That's what she said. After that, she's the biggest uh, powerful ministry. They say she would walk through the kitchen in a hotel trying to escape people and the, every, all the bus boys would fall out in the spirit, you know, slain in the spirit. And nobody's standing there but her. You understand what I'm saying? Was, you know. Why? Her boast was in God now. She didn't have to boast about nothing. Her wonderful husband, her great ministry, all that down in the toilet. You got me? So now she could boast in God. And he could show up real big in her situation. Everywhere she was. Amen. Everywhere. One of the translations that I read of Psalm 22, it says, you sit as king receiving praises. Amen. So when God hears praise, he sits as king to receive it. What does he do with our praises? He enlarges himself to match what we say about him. When we magnify him, you make God as big as you can. Yes, he wants you healed. Yes, we'll pray. Yes, he's going to heal you. Yes, he's a deliverer. He'll take that away from you. Our problem is we diminish God by our lack of confidence in him. Lack our lack of desire to see him do something. But I'm telling you, your only job is to say enough to get him on the scene. After that, he'll do the rest. He'll prove who he is. You don't have to try to prove God to anybody. You say, yeah, we'll pray for you. God wants you well. He's going to heal you. Oh, I can promise him he's going to heal. Didn't he promise that in the Bible? I am the Lord your healer. What do you think that means? Of course he's going to heal them. That person that you just talked to, he will heal them. That's what praise is. It's a boast in God. It's not boasting in your ability to pray real good or your results that you always get. My goodness. Since when did we start passing out our calling card about being healers? Huh? Your boast is in God. You talk about what he does. You talk about his abilities. And you do it in a confident manner because he won't respond to anything else. He responds to your faith. Faith is confidence. Bible faith is confidence, folks. You putting your trust in that. He says, ooh, look, she's going out on a limb for me today. I got to show up. Let's pack up everything. Let's pack up the healing anointing. Take that with me. Let's pack up the deliverance anointing. Take that with me. We're going to need it because they're talking real big about me down there. So I got to show up in response. I got to show up as big as what they've already said about me. That's faith, folks. That's confidence in God. God comes on the scene when we talk about him. Stop talking about the problems. Start talk, stop talking about the people causing problems in your life. And start talking about him. So when we brag on God, he shows up. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles. This is after Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. They were dedicating the temple. 
And so they were had assembled everything uh, the way God had told them to. And all the congregation was there. And they began to bring in the Ark of the Covenant, which had been missing for a while from Israel. David, remember David brought it back and they tried to place it where it was supposed to be. And they were so ignorant of God's laws, they were mishandling the Ark and some guy dropped dead because he didn't handle it properly. And so what that meant was that they had to slow down, somebody find the tablets and and find God's law written on the scrolls and read it. They were cookbooking trying to find out how to minister before the Lord so they wouldn't drop dead. Aren't you thankful we have a better covenant based on better promises? Huh? Be thankful for that. And so they, they got the Ark of the Covenant inside. Verse 10 said there was nothing in the Ark save the two tablets which Moses had put in Horeb. And the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel there. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place. For all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then and did not then minister by course. So they had everybody, all everybody in the priesthood came out to minister. Also the Levites, which were the singers, those of the three families, Asaph and Heman and Jethro, and all of those singers, and their sons and their brothers, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar. And with them 120 priests sounding the trumpet. So you've got a sea of people in there, all ministers, ministering for the, before the Lord. And it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were what? This is not the day for Sister uh, McMillan to tap the, tap the church with her solo. You know, this is why sometimes there's no signs, wonders, and miracles. Your boast must be in God. It cannot be in a human vessel. That's why sometimes God will just do nothing unless the place is totally still and nobody moves. It's a good time to get a miracle because there's nobody up there trying to show everybody how powerful they are. You have to watch things like that. You have to live humbly before God. You know, I, I, I know when God tells me to uh, impart his glory, I can't touch anybody. You got me? And But, you know, people will look at you because that's you God's using and think that's extraordinary. So you got to, if you're somebody God wants to use, you got to stay in between things. You understand what I'm saying? You got to have confidence in yourself that God will use you, but at the same time, you got to let him have the glory for that. You can't have people just rushing up to you and saying, we're patting you on the back. Ooh, how wonderful that was. You don't play that kind of stuff if you want to be used by God. You understand me? So it's a fine, it's a delicate balance sometimes to make sure that God is glorified in what you do. And so it says here in verse 13, it says, It came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now that is not a formula for getting God to come in and make everybody fall down.
There are no formulas in the Bible. You have to obey the unction that God puts on you at the time. So if God tells you just worship me and exalt me and you begin to talk about the Lord and boast on him, that's enough. God will come in to do what he's supposed to do. But you don't get a whole bunch of people dressed up and think just because you got all the people like it was in the Bible. And you say exactly what they said back then that God's going to come in and knock everybody down. You understand? We do too much copycat stuff. As far as God's people are concerned. We don't know how to deal with the God as he lives with us right now. You understand what I'm saying? And he said they're lifted up their voice. He is good. His mercy endures forever. And then the house was filled with a cloud. Even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. Not that they were falling down saying they were drunk in the spirit. But there was a cloud of God that actually came in. So that was the same cloud that stood over the tabernacle by day and the fire by night to shield them from the elements. It's the same cloud that he he dwelt in but he had to hover over them. This time they got everything right the way God said to do it right and he moved in on that. So they went from God hovering and staying at a distance to God moving in. You want God to move in. You don't want to live a life where he hovers and stands at a distance waiting for you to invite him in. So that he can do something in your life. You want him inhabiting every area that you dwell in. You want God to have the freedom to come and dwell with you anytime he wants to. So he showed up and he knocked all the priests down. In this psalm, we get the picture of somebody, I'm sorry, not psalm, um, okay, in this, you see where God brings everything he owns with him. That cloud was always his throne. He was enthroned in that cloud, and as long as that cloud hovered over the tabernacle, they knew that God was speaking to the priest, he was ministering through the priest, everything was right. Many times we get in the midst of praise and you don't understand why you enjoy praising God so much. And it's because he comes in and he moves in with everything that you need in that situation at that time right then. It seems like the longer you're in the atmosphere, the more you yield to it, the better you feel. The less you're concerned about anything else that you were concerned about before you got there. It it. It is evidence that God is moving and doing something in you. It's not just a feeling. This is beyond a mere feeling. Because what God is doing, he is coming in and fixing things in your soul, in your heart, in your thought life, in your memories. Every area that can be invaded, he invades it during praise. And so when you begin to lift him up, that's why it's good to continue to praise him, to continue to boast in him. Don't be one of those people that sits stiff and tries to see how long you can go without lifting your hand. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. Your mind will mess with you like that. I don't feel like it. I see everybody else is trying, but I ain't going to try today. You understand what I'm saying? You move right in on that. You don't want to get God to just hover over your life and stay at a distance. You need him as close as you can get him. 
And so when, when that cloud descended, he, he came in in such a way when God saw everybody did everything exactly the way he prescribed. The priests were dressed the way they were supposed, the singers were dressed the way they were supposed to say, to be. Don't let your clothes cause God to not be a factor in your life, an important factor in your life. I totally wanted to go a different way with this today. But I see some things need correcting, so we're just going to go with it. You know? God will hover over your life, but you want him to move in. Huh? Don't let three inches on a hemline separate God from moving in your life big and helping you. Now, I don't know who this is for today because it's rough today. I'll admit it's a little rough. But we got to get down to where we live, folks. There's no point in us coming in here saying, let's praise God so we can all fall down on the floor and laugh and get drunk. And you don't know how to do that in the atmosphere where you live. You only hear a couple of hours a week. But you live in your house every day. You live at your work every day. You live in whatever school you go into every day. You've got to learn how to transfer this environment that we enjoy here over into your everyday life. If we all had that as a goal, people at your job would be saved and wouldn't be rolling their eyes at you after five years still. You want the glory? This is the glory, folks. This is how it comes in. This is how it abides in you. I'm not talking about just a word and a feeling and an experience. I'm talking about the manifested presence of God. Him working what he wants to work. He put you in that atmosphere so that he could work. Not so you can complain about everything and want people to change so that you'll like them better. They'll never be able to change enough for you to like them better. So God don't even promise you anything like that. But he promises that you will be changed from glory to glory. Amen. You stick with him, you will be changed. But we got to clean some stuff up, folks. We just, we're a little too flaky sometimes. But you see, when they did everything to the letter the way God said, he couldn't help himself from swooping in and inhabiting that whole place. Huh? When you get to the place where you don't need a preacher... You don't need somebody to pump you up and rev you up and all. You understand what I'm saying. When you can, you can take your God straight, no chaser. You understand what I'm saying? You're ready to roll in. See, you're ready to, to go and change somebody's life. You're ready to do something and make an impact that these people have never experienced before. But we gotta get there. We gotta cut the childish stuff. You know, we gotta, Stop the nonsense. It's not worth it. It's really not worth it. I look at people taking liberties and, you know, God's given them a platform and a pulpit. And they take silly liberties, huh? Just because they're established. They can still go farther. You understand what I'm saying? Don't ever get satisfied with just where you are. Start to try to want to go farther. See? And God's done with the nonsense. You saw what it took for them to get that, that preach show off the air. Two episodes and God was done. All he needed was some of his kids to stand up and say, that's not us. We don't want it anymore. Let's get rid of it. So he hates the dumb stuff, just like we thought. 
So let's not us get involved in it. Amen. So when God, when all the priests could not stand by reason of the cloud, that's a manifestation of what God says about that early priesthood. In Romans chapter 8, if you'll turn there, that early priesthood was really a shadow of things to come. So that was a teaching, that was a teaching tool for God. Everything about the old covenant was never meant to stand forever. The Pharisees, of course, never got the hint. Why? Because they tried to pretend like everything was perfect and it never was. That's why the Gentiles took to God, took to Jesus so quickly. Because their life was never right. Religion always gets you into a pretense that everything's wonderful. It helps you to lie to yourself. The Pharisees knew it wasn't right. And they weren't trying to make it right. But they felt as long as they could fool everybody else into thinking it was right, they had it going on. In Romans 8 verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. That first covenant was done away with. Because it was weak because it was carried out in the flesh. God sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk after the, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the fact that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of that cloud was a foreshadowing of God getting rid of that old covenant, the old priesthood. You know now that the priesthood that we're in now is a spiritual, totally spiritual priesthood. We have in the flesh have nothing to do with it. Jesus cut this covenant between himself and his father. They swore with each other. They did like this. Come on, Miss Snow. This. We got it, Dad. You got it? We got it, Dad. Abraham's asleep. We cut the covenant between me and you. There's no weak flesh involved in it anymore. I can live through them. And I can do everything I want to do through them. So that they don't have to be stopped in anything that I tell them to do. They can go straight to glory. And they don't have to be invaded by the devil all the time. And and, and have to go through the curse and all that kind of stuff. There's no curse on the new covenant. Because there's no us in it. There's no sinful us in it. There's regenerated people, renewed by the Spirit of God. We're new creatures in Christ. We don't have to live the old way. That's why it's a shame that people live way beneath their privileges in God and live like mere human beings when we don't have to. You don't have to give in the flesh. You you can ignore your flesh and tell it to shut up and don't bug you no more. And let Christ live through you. That's what God's ordained for all of us, is the Christ life. So God condemned sin in the flesh, made human flesh an offering for sin, and now we follow God through the Spirit. Because His Spirit now lives and dwells in us, we're not weak to the flesh, but we choose to follow the Spirit. So our praise allows God to kind of crash our party anytime we desire to have things changed. We think we have to pray for years and years and years for our lives to change. But remember the first time that you heard 
that God would save your whole household. Remember how you felt about that? You were supposed to hold on to that forever. You weren't supposed to go downhill and, and try to quit. And I'm done and all this kind of stuff. You're not supposed to live in like that. I can remember many times leaving meetings when I was a young Christian. And I would say, oh, that feeling left me. When I would get back home again. You know what happened? I let my mindset go back. You pick that up yourself. God never ordained for you to pick that up when you walk in the door. And then World War III was on. Where he at? I'm going to get him. That's what comes next. Don't tell me. I live like that. Thank God he taught me how to overcome it. Amen. He taught me how to overcome it. So your praise, your boasting in God allows you to crash his party anytime you want to. I wish I had had teaching where people would teach me how to keep the presence of God. Huh? But they can't teach you what they don't know. Just a thought. We know this now. So we're going to start living in it. Amen? Amen. How much time I got, little Howard? I spent all that time. On the mulberry bush. Well, I hope it helps somebody. I hope it did. You know, you wake up and God tells you, look what I got for you to teach today. And I stuck my foot right in it. And he trapped me. <laughs> he snared me. I was excited. I was all they going to love this. Yes. All right. I love everything God has for you. Eat the, eat the vegetables too. Amen. Eat the corn on the cob. Even you got to put your teeth over there and take the corn off with a knife. You got to eat the corn on the cob. Sometimes it's a little tough to get to, but it'll it'll nourish you. Amen. Praise God. So Acts chapter sixteen. I want you to go there. It's our ever famous, popular scripture passage of scripture with Paul and Silas. I think I'll stay close to my notes. Next chapter 16. Now, Paul, we, we know that Paul was very highly persecuted. Um, when Jesus saved him, he took the water of the word that Paul had through the Old Testament, which he had a lot of it. He was highly knowledgeable about Old Covenant law, Testament law, all of those things he knew. And he was a master in teaching the scriptures, you know, they, he was a rabbi himself. And so when, when he met the Lord, and this is what God had ordained for, for the Jewish nation, is that when they understood who the Messiah was and received him, they would immediately be able to have that word that they had in a shadow converted to the real thing. So that it was expected that those who had held on and were knowledgeable about the law would be skillful under the new covenant because it, all it was was taking water, turning it into wine. So the water that they drank and sipped of that they needed for life now became enjoyable to them under the new covenant. And so as, as they began, and this is what happened to Paul. This is why he would pray in tongues so much. Because it was the, the wine that he lived off of now instead of the water of the word, which barely kept you, water barely keeps you, that's why we buy pop. You know, bless it and drink it, it ain't evil. 
You know, everybody, everything's evil nowadays. You know, we go a little backwards sometimes. But I don't want y'all drinking wine because some of y'all got too many alcohol devils living around you. Fifteen generations of alcoholics and you're a Christian now and you want to go back to sipping. Stop it. All right, next, 16. So Paul was persecuted every place that he went. He expected it. He knew it was going to happen. The Lord told him when he was saved, I'm going to show you how many things you must suffer, how many things you have to go through. You can't change it. And so there they were, and, and uh, they were in Philippi. And so they uh, were preaching in that city. And it says, uh, you know the story, when that girl that was following Paul all the time, she started to talk about and try to be a false witness for the gospel. He turned around and cast her witchcraft spirit out of her. Everybody got mad at him, and the whole city turned on him. The people that hired her and hired her devil with her were upset because they were skunking people out of their money. The place was full of witches and mediums. And Paul goes inside and he's not afraid. And so they brought them. uh, Let me see. In verse They brought them to the rulers in front of the marketplace. That was where the court was. And it says in verse 20, And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs, which is not lawful for us to receive, uh, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore their clothes and commanded them to be beaten. When they had laid many stripes on them, They cast them in prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, threw them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So this is not just solitary confinement, but they chained your feet down. This is what prison was back then. There was no nice prisons, folks. No club gitmo, no, you know, whatever they had. It was nothing like that. And it says, and at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So this is at midnight, really is the beginning of the third watch. And there are four watches of the night, the the fourth watch being starting at three in the morning. Whenever there are watches of the night, there's also a changing of the guard. In the changing of the guard, there's weakness in the enemy system. And so Paul and Silas know that. How many of you, now when you, it may not happen too much now because you have a prayer routine now. You understand what I'm saying? You, you have a prayer routine. But how many of you were at, say like at somewhere between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning, you woke up and got mad because you couldn't go. Well, you were supposed to pray. Now you know. Huh? People who pray a lot know that. They know at 3 o'clock they might as well stay up if they're close to that because they need to pray at that time. Why? That's an advantage. That's a strategy that God gives us to get an advantage over the enemy because he's changing the guard between 3 and 6 in the morning. How many of you have ever worked where they sell liquor? Don't answer that. But when do the bars close? 
Last call for alcohol, 2.30. Chuck, you know that. Why are you sitting up there looking like with that white shirt on like she the mother of the church ain't never been in a bar? When I said last call for alcohol, her hand almost jumped up. She realized where she was. And everybody gets upset. Why? Because they can't buy no more liquor. So where you go then, Chuck? There you go. Go to Blind Pig. Oh, that's how it's going to neighborhood. What Chuck doing that to me today? That's what they called it. I don't know. Blind Pig after hours joint. Same thing. But that's because the guard changes in the the devil's demonic system he 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 is the reason the watches were set you got me but at the changing of the guard there's weakness in any system amen that's why god calls us to pray during that time amen so you get an advantage over the devil so he don't kill your cousin brubra who's always drunk stumbling home at three in the morning come on now And so, in the changing of the guard, Paul and Silas take advantage of this. Now, I believe those guards either changed each other, or those guards, after they changed, at midnight, they get comfortable. And you'll find that this guard who was guarding them, when they found out the prison doors were open, he woke up. So he was sleeping. And so you can get an advantage of the enemy. That's all I'm saying is at the changing of the guard. And so at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing praises and pray and worship God. And he says, suddenly, it's like we said, God packs up. When you, when he hears praise, he hears himself being invited into your mess, to your situation, to your trouble, to your mess you made yourself. To your so-called party that turns evil all of a sudden. You know, sometimes your kids get involved with the wrong people. They're out thinking they're having a good time. And all of a sudden, everybody want to jump on them. And they was the life of the party five minutes ago. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, That's the time mother gets awakened. And just all of a sudden, I don't know why, but I felt to pray for my kids. Huh? Why? Because he wants to invade. He wants to crash the party. When God gets there, he says, I am the party. It's just getting started now. You understand what I'm saying? He wants to be in there in the midst of your mess. Why do we always try to pretend we don't have mess and hide it from God? I don't know. But when he starts to hear that invitation... He packs up everything. He gets the angels. He says, hey, we got to go. Let's get out of here. We got somewhere to be. Let's get here and crash this party and sit right in the atmosphere where the devil was controlling everything a few minutes ago. Now, this is not new to you all. We do this all the time. We go into places and venues where they've been drunken and and adulterating and everything else they want to do. And you tell people that don't even know how to pray in tongues or if they're doing the right thing, just go around and touch everything, sanctify this place, chase the devil out, and pretty soon you're having healing meetings where people come up and get healed. How does this happen? It happens because when God hears himself 
being lifted up and exalted. When we boast on him. We talk about how great he is. That's why we preach and teach before we try to pray for the sick. Because we begin to boast in God. And look what he can do for us. And look what he wants. There's a whole thing down because he didn't build it. He doesn't have to honor it. And he didn't want it there. And all the prisoners doors were open. Everybody was in there had been beaten and flogged probably without a trial. You understand me? God is not an outlaw. He does things. He's holy. So what he did here correcting these things, they were wrong to begin with. You got me? He says, the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. He pulled his sword out to kill himself. Uh, if you were a prison guard, you didn't get any kind of mercy if your prisoners escaped. You just got murdered, you know, and they went on to the next guy that wanted a job. 
Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Praise changes you. Paul could have been bitter, angry, upset. He was falsely imprisoned. He had been beaten. But he extends mercy to this man. Why? Because the praise changed him. One of the reasons you praise God is so that he can change you. You make your boast in God, your heart changes. He invades that place and you change. And they said, he said, they brought him down. He said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Then a prisoner he called for, the jailer called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. The people that slapped the cuffs on you will, will honor you. You understand what I'm saying? When God comes in and changes an atmosphere, people who were against you will all of a sudden be for you. Amen? They'll see the goodness in you. They'll see something they, they, of value in you for a change. Praise does this. Praise rules. And they said, believe on the Lord. He said, brought him out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved in your house. They spoke to him the word of the Lord and everybody. They went to his house and preached to everybody there. They went on with the meeting that they should have had earlier that day that was interrupted by that girl walking behind him talking. Made him upset. And he acted out that way. Cast the devil out of her. I wouldn't mind getting upset and casting devils out of people. Amen. <laughs> it's not a damaged thing. And they, he went and he washed the disciples. And, and then they decided to have a baptism service. Amen. Yeah. Baptized everybody in the house. <clears throat> they fed them. Everything settled down at the jail. The main jailer there understood that that they should never have done anything to them in fact they were glad to see him go you know if there was anything left of that prison probably wasn't much left when you see a god can do that you respect him and you respect his people too see folks the more wicked the world gets the more those days are coming back you can't look at this anymore and look like it's just something in the bible or some little fable or, you know, that's, they did that back then and they won't do it anymore. Who told you God won't do those same things? He gets somebody, somebody uh, that, he, that God's favor is on and they're wrongly in prison. Don't tell me God won't open that prison up to get them out of there. You think God's going to be polite and open one door? Huh? Well, think about it. Huh? If he has to wreck the whole thing to get an innocent child of his out of there, he'll do it. You understand what I'm saying? He'll do whatever he needs to do to get you rescued. Once you start to bring him on the scene, quit lamenting everything in your life. Don't be a professional griper. You're a Christian. You have power within you to cause, call down all the forces of heaven against every force of hell that would ever come against you. Start using that power for good, folks. We'll start seeing God do mighty things. We just have to do the simple things that we know to do to get him to do them. You don't have to fast 40 days. Most people ain't going to do it anyway. You understand what I'm saying? And the ones that say they fasting are liars. 
you might find one or two that really have locked into the secret of how to use that tool. But for the most part, we're not going to do that. And God knows it. And so what, what he gives us to use, use it. The stuff that you know to use, use. Pull hell out of your life by allowing God to just invade. Let him do what he wants to do for a change. We've been doing it our way for such a long time. Don't you want God to move mightily? I want him to move in a great big way. We, we can't settle for a one soul here and one soul there. As soon as you get somebody to pray the sinner's prayer, some, some lying devil comes and pulls them right back into the world again. You understand what I'm saying? And so we need more, folks. And I think this is the way to get more. Just let your boast be in God 24-7. Don't ever stop praising him. Don't ever stop encouraging yourself to say the right things about God. Don't ever let yourself say, don't ever make yourself stop when you start bragging on God. Like, I don't know if he's going to do that or not. He'll never do it if you don't say it. If it never comes out of your mouth, it'll never manifest in the atmosphere. But I can tell you this, when you start talking about the great big God that you serve, the goodness of that great big God, the mercy of that great big God, and make it available to everybody. We're not people that go through life retaliating. We put our own swords down. Amen. You, your God is big enough. He can bless your enemies. He can help people that, that were against you. You know, I, I know people, uh, you know, say God will show them and all this. I don't live for that. You know, I live for, I live for God. You know, praise God. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding, blessing us. To hear your word and to appreciate your word. Your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. I thank you, Lord, that our boast is in you. We're not living for ourselves anymore. We don't live like that. Father, I thank you for people who know how to repent and know how to get themselves right before you, Father. To strip all the pretense off. Strip off all the false desires, all the things that we've accumulated, Father. Let us lay them aside and lighten our load and run this race with patience, Father. So that we can live in joy and in peace and harmony with all men. We can do it because you've enabled us to do it. So I thank you for that ability you've given us, Lord. That we would let praise rule. In our atmospheres and in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Anybody needs prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you. Praise God.